On this episode, tree branches that look like snakes, being a healthcare worker during the pandemic, and dot watchers. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Um, today's kind of exciting for me because we have uh, someone who I've sort of worked with in the past on a previous do- uh, documentary. It's, it's my friend uh, Amber Montfort Weibel. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Hi, thank you. Um, again, this is going to be the first in our uh, Women's Month for all of March. We're doing two extra episodes. So we'll have one for everyone every week. Um, and yeah, th- thanks for coming on, Amber. And uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everyone? Uh, my name's Amber. I am a nurse in South Lake Tahoe, and I also like exploring mountains. Yeah. And um, well, I guess I'll, I'll talk about how I know you. I, I did a, a documentary a few years ago on the uh, unsupported fastest known time for the John Muir Trail. And uh, Amber uh, not only has the record, I believe she also has, she beat her own record. So she has the two fastest times for the unsupported uh, women's record on the John Muir Trail. Yeah, it was uh, a super fun undertaking, especially to go back the second time. I uh, felt like my first attempt in 2015, I made a lot of mistakes. I'd never been on the trail before. So to get to go back in 2016, have the opportunity to try to break that record again was, was a lot of fun. Um, we, we've talked to a few people in the past about what unsupported means, but, but why don't you just kind of uh, maybe just tell all of our listeners what an unsupported fastest known time involves and like what you can and what you can't do and, and, and all of that. So for the John Muir Trail, it's pretty simple. Um, you can start at either end of the trail. I chose the northbound route. Uh, you basically get dropped off at one trailhead and you get picked up at the other. So I got dropped off at Whitney Portal and you take all the food. You're only allowed to refill water from natural sources. You're not allowed to take anything from anyone on the trail. You must carry all your own supplies and you can't go with anybody else. And then you get picked up at the other end of the trail down in uh, Yosemite Valley. That's amazing. And you want to tell everyone what your, uh, what your record is? I believe it's four days and one hour for the actual trail itself. But because to get to the John Muir Trail itself at the top of Mount Whitney, you have to get from the portal to the top. That adds another 11-ish miles. I believe it was four days, five hours, and I don't know, some odd minutes for the entirety of the trail. So, so 20 days faster than me, basically. <laughs> I, I, have, I have time constraints. I had to get back to work. Right. <laughs> Jeff, how much faster than you is that? That's, that's way faster. Yeah. So uh, uh, Joan and I did it in 22 days. So yeah, that's, that's so, so yeah. I mean, Forgive my art school math if it's wrong, but that's 18 days faster than you. So Amber, I have a question. What is the, why does it officially start at the top of Whitney versus like the Whitney portal, like trailhead to trailhead? That's just the designation of the John Muir Trail itself, like is from the top of Mount Whitney to Yosemite Valley or the other way around. Um, the, the portal to the top isn't included in the actual John Muir Trail mileage, even though to get to the top of Whitney, you need some way to get there. Right. That's what I always thought was strange, but yeah, <laughs> other, other, some other people hike in, if you're going northbound, they'll go from like Cottonwood up yeah. to the top of Whitney. So there's other routes to get to the top of Mount Whitney. 
Which is, I don't know why anyone would want to do that because who, who doesn't love hiking up to the top of Mount Whitney from Whitney Portal, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I got a question. So, Amber, when you do the, the uh, Whitney Portal to the top of Whitney, I mean, if it were me, I'd like stage. You know, I'd like take a, you know, spend the night up there and kind of rest and then like start fresh, you know, on the next day. But do you, is that a consideration? Is that something that some people do when they go no. for the FKT? No, I don't think most people do that. If you look at like the FKT website, they'll have both times on there. They have like the time of the actual JMT and then the actual time of trailhead to trailhead. So both times are kind of listed. I don't, it's like a subcategory, I guess. Um, And also just the rest, like, I don't feel like you'd get a good night rest at the top of Mount Whitney. So probably true. I I also, I don't know that you're allowed to camp up there. I don't think you, well, I guess it would be, I guess, because you can't camp anywhere. I guess you could. I don't know. It's for some reason it seems like you can't. I know you can't stay in the shelter, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't. Correct. Doesn't seem like a very pleasant place to <laughs> set up your tent. You know, but <laughs> yeah, if, if you if you have a tent, yeah. Bring <laughs> so I'm, water. I'm traveling right. with minimal stuff, yeah. so I would have had a very cold, uncomfortable night up there. So just pushing on through is kind of the way to go. I was saying, speaking of minimal stuff, uh, what do you bring? Like, what does your gear consist of for for an attempt like this? So, um, I'm a bear can enthusiast. I really support bringing bear cans back there. So I did bring a minimal bear can. I think it weighed like a pound and a half and I was able to fit all of my nutrition inside that. I brought, um, a sleep pad just enough to get me off the ground. Um, it was basically cut from shoulders to hip just to keep my core off the ground to provide a little bit more heat. And then I had a very minimal sleeping bag I think it was rated to 50 degrees. Um, I had shorts, short sleeve shirt, and then I had a long sleeve layer, long sleeve pants, a puffy jacket. And then I carried um, a a rain poncho, Frog's Togs rain poncho that I could set up as like an emergency bivy in case I did get caught in a storm. But I also looked at weather windows when I was going. So I tried to pick big days where I knew I wasn't hopefully going to get stuck out there in a storm. But if something were to come up, I would be able to set up kind of an emergency shelter. Um. And then just food. I think half my pack weight was food. Yeah, and um, well, I, well, I know this because I interviewed you for for the doc. But have you eaten Justin's peanut butter since um, now? Since <laughs> I interviewed you a few years ago about this? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so off the smell or taste, and well, I mixed it with uh, coconut oil too to add calorie because it's all about calorie per gram of food you're bringing up there. So added just pure fat to it to to increase my caloric density of it. And yeah, it didn't, it didn't taste great. Um, Perpetuum, I still don't drink to this day. I probably will not drink it again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, wait, that's a powder, right? That's like a meal in a powder kind of thing where you just add yeah. water and it's right. Yeah, it's uh, one of the sports nutrition drinks, but it's also got some protein in it where I, I kind of decided for a four-day or a five-day trek, I needed some protein in my, in my meals. So I brought that powder and the my first attempt it went okay it was it was cooler than my second attempt I did at the end of July and it was really really hot out and the flavor of that drink (laughs) when it's warm is not great I can imagine (laughs) yeah yeah so Amber what motivates somebody like you well what motivates you to attempt an FKT on the John Muir Trail I guess I like having lofty goals things that scare me a little bit like not knowing if I can complete something when I start it and the planning and the prep for something like this is 
more fun than the actual event itself, if you call it an event, I guess. Um, my first time doing this, I didn't really prep too well for the JMT. The second time, I spent three, I did three backpacking trips leading up to it, two of which were on the JMT. So I got to do some really cool adventuring back there by myself. I love exploring nature and I was always that person that I want to see what's over that next ridge line. And I like pushing my body to limits and sometimes breaking. So it's fun. Was the theory behind um, doing like backpacking the JMT first, was that just to sort of get used to the train and sort of be able to mentally prepare? Like what, what factor was that in prepping for your FKT? Um, so my first trip back there, I did mostly run training leaning up for it. And I had some issues like carrying the pack weight. Um, my pack my first trip was probably 20 pounds. So going from just being like an ultra runner and doing lots of running and carrying a 20 pound pack, I, my back hurt quite a bit during the trip. So I did some backpacking trips leading up to it, carrying a heavier pack, like 40 pounds when I was out backpacking. More to learn the trail. Um, I had some navigation errors my first time through. Um, so I all, learning the trail, also wanting to explore the area, know the trail better and um, just get some miles on my legs and hiking with a pack gets you, gets you in shape. Yeah, well, I think I think all of us know that too. That's a, it. Definitely, <laughs> it definitely changes. Uh, definitely changes how difficult hiking can be. <laughs> it's also fun to get back there. Like I did a backpacking trip in June. I did North Lake to South Lake Loop, um, and I only had a couple of days off work, so I just went back there and I get the ranger station. The guys goes, "There's way too much snow. You're never going to be able to do this." And I'm like, "Okay, all right. I'll see how it is, and we'll see how the road, how the snow is, and how the water crossings are." And ended up having a blast back there. There was a ton of snow, but it was just a nice way to see the trail in a different way. It looks completely different under, you know, feet of snow. My yeah. entire crossing <laughs> yeah, over a mirror was. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been there. <laughs> it's, it's a different trail and it's a different experience. And yeah, uh, it, it was super fun. It really is funny because like, well, you know, the year we did it was a snow year. And, and, and it, I mean going over those passes and snow is a complete different thing than hiking over a pass. You know, mm -hmm. you're not on the trail. You're just, you know, up. Oh, that's the pass I got to go over. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a very, very, you know, you don't, you don't post hole when there's no snow, um, mm -hmm. things like that. So, so yeah. <laughs> um, well, speaking of, of work, um, you're a nurse, so I'm almost afraid to ask how, how's it been going? <laughs> um, well in the spring when they shut everything down, it wasn't bad. And now they opened everything back up and supposedly in California, we're under a stay at home order. Um, but living here in Tahoe, it's the resorts all put out an email saying everyone come up, we're open. So we've been packed. Not only are we dealing with COVID, our ICU's full, but um, we're seeing all the ski accidents that we normally see during the winter because all the ski hills are open. So everyone's coming up, the uh, roads are packed. So sledding and ski accidents on top of COVID and COVID's getting bad. Yeah. Is it and is it start, is it growing and kind of starting to spread a lot more through that area? I mean, people are bringing it with them, I assume, right? Um, people are bringing it with them, and then casinos are open, so we're seeing a lot of the people that work at the casinos coming down with COVID. And I work at two different hospitals right now. I work here in South Lake Tahoe, and I also work at Carson City in Nevada. And both places are are getting really busy, but we're seeing a bigger outbreak actually down in Carson City, Nevada. And I don't know if that has to do with less mask wearing down there or what's going on in Carson. Cause we're, you know, it's only a 30 minute drive, 45 minute drive between the two cities, but it's definitely a lot worse down there right now. Like we're running out of beds. There's beds in the hallway. There's 
Uh, we have 50 traveler nurses at the Carson City Hospital, and they're still, I get a text message every single shift that they're short for nurses for that day. Hmm. So, and usually I don't work that much. I work two to three days a week, and I've been working three to four. And my husband's an ER nurse, and he's been working three to four days every week also, and they're short every shift. Wow. <laughs> um, I guess the, the slight ray of hope I did see uh on facebook that you got vaccinated right yes that, yes and you haven't felt the urge to eat anyone's brains <laughs> or you haven't like yeah yeah you, no 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 side of, okay. <laughs> no side effects a slightly sore arm it was kind of funny the guy that gave me my shot he's like and we're not putting a microchip just so you know and i was like if you guys want to track my movements have at it yeah <laughs> well, amber went running this morning fantastic right. well and, you know and all these people carry cell phones and yet they're afraid yes. of a microchip <laughs> A chip coming in. I guess the internet lied to me about the whole zombie thing. I can't, I can't believe it would do that. <laughs> yeah, the only side effect I got to say is a sense of relief because right. I feel like I am getting exposed at work or, I mean, I try to plan my grocery trips for times of the day when it's not busy, but our exposure risk at work is pretty high. So yeah, it's well, super, obviously. super big sense of relief that, you know, both my husband and I have been vaccinated at this point. We got our second vaccines this Friday. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. Um, One of the lucky ones. Yeah, I did the, uh, this is of course, this is our first interview. I mean, this is This will be running in March, but this is our first interview of 2021. Um, and yesterday the New York times, they had like a calculator to calculate when you're going to be able to get it. Mm -hmm. And I'm only 31 millionth in line in California. <laughs> so only 31 million people to go before I can get it. So, but I mean, that's how it should be. Obviously, but obviously people like you that are on the front lines and whatever certainly need it more people with more health risks. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy you got it. And, you know, and, and also, I should say just for me, I mean, thank you so much for everything you guys are doing. I mean, the way that you guys are kind of taking on the brunt of all this is, is, is amazing and very unfortunate and sad. <laughs> Definitely the hardest time in my nursing career. Um, yeah, watching entire families be decimated and having to watch families watch their family member pass away and they're not able to be in the room with them. It's, it's truly heartbreaking. Like, yeah, yeah, it's. And, and I'm super thankful my husband's a nurse because we're able to at least talk to each other and, you know, vent and kind of work through our emotions together where some families aren't able to do that. So, yeah. And well, now, obviously, I'm, you, 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 did I hear you? Did you mention that you now have a second kid? Because you had a kid <laughs> after your second attempt, you oh, had, man. you had your first kid, right? And now you <laughs> yeah. have, you have two kids. Yeah, so I have a three-year-old. My, my son's my, my biological son's three. And then we decided we didn't like to sleep very much. So <laughs> about two years ago, we signed up for foster care. And we started getting foster placements last year. Our first placement didn't um, – they got moved out of the area. So they it's not really up to us if we get to keep the kid or not. Um, so we're on our second foster placement, and this one looks like we're going to get to adopt. So we've had oh. um, this one for almost a year now. Yeah. We're super excited. She's two years old. Oh. And uh, Enzo and her get along really well. It's, yeah, it's a great placement. We're super excited and happy to add to our family in this way. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only bummer is they're both so young, so maybe a little too early for you to get outside because now you've got all this crazy work. You've got the two kids. I mean, are you, <laughs> I guess, running, you said? Are you are you able to do anything else? Are you going to be able to get away at any time soon? So last year I was able to actually run Western States, and we did quite a bit of traveling. Um, this year with COVID, everything got canceled. So it was good timing for the placement. And we did do some, we did some camping trips this year on the Eastern Sierra. We actually got down and into uh into some nice sections back in the Eastern Sierra. Um, 
and then we just kind of trade off. My husband will stay back at camp and I'll go run and I'll stay back at camp and he'll go run. And the kids are starting to get more active. Like they can, they can hike three to four miles now and we've got them both on strider bikes and starting to get them adventuring more. We'd like to get them backpacking, but, uh, my son does not sleep yet through the night. So I, I always envisioned like having this kid and taking him backpacking with me. And so far we've yet to take him backpacking because he still does not sleep well. Um, our, our daughter sleeps great. Um, so maybe this next year we'll start doing some overnight trips and start getting them back there because they definitely enjoy being outside. We've been trailer camping with them quite a bit, but that, you know, makes it easier. But soon, soon. Cool. Well, well, you brought it up, so let's talk about it. I, I, I am now remember. I didn't remember you had done it before, which is funny, but I, I think I wished you luck for the Western states. So why don't you just quick background on that? I think probably most people that listen know what it is, but just in case, maybe what the Western states in and let us know how you did and, and you know, how it was. So I've grown up in this area my whole life. Um, I grew up riding horses, so I grew up knowing about the Tevis Cup. It's a horse race that goes from Squaw Valley down to Auburn on some of the old mining trails. It's all in the backcountry. doesn't really go on any roads the whole way, and I always dreamed of riding my horse on the Tevis Cup when I grew up. Um, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, I uh, don't have horses anymore, Can't don't have the time for that or energy, um, but got into running, so... I, in the back of my mind, when I first started running, I go down there and volunteer at Western States and watch these mountain men run out of the forest, like beards. And, you know, I was like, there's no way these people are crazy running this whole way. And then, you know, shortly after I'm signing up for Western States. So I got lucky enough to get a lottery spot last year. It's kind of like the golden ticket getting in there. It's super hard nowadays. Um, so I got super lucky and was able to comp- uh, compete last year and had a great time. It was probably my favorite year down there and you know my son was out there and yeah it was a lot of fun it's it's crazy for me to think that it's like really hard to get into that because I mean <laughs> who, who wants it's 100 miles am I right is it 100 it's 100 miles from right. Squaw Valley to Auburn yeah yeah so so basically there's it's hard to like get a lottery place to do that to run 100 miles in the mountains is hard that, that blows my mind I guess it's a good sign for humanity that there are enough people that are interested in doing it, that, that it's a difficult thing to get to do. But Yeah, yeah ultra running's had ex- exponential growth in the last couple of years, and Western States is kind of this weird little thing. It's like one of the oldest, I think it's the oldest hundred, but uh, there's a lottery. You can actually go in person down to Auburn and sit at the high school, which we do every year. Um, we go sit down there while they draw names out of the hats, and there's a group of us that come down from South Lake Tahoe, and usually uh, one of us out of the group gets in every year, so it's a lot of fun, and they call you up on stage, and you get to accept accept your entry, and yeah, it's a lot of fun, but there's, a, there's I don't know, a couple hundred people that show up for that every year, so. Ah, just crazy. And how many people, how many people do they allow in the race itself? I want to say it's 369, but I could be wrong on that. And some of those slots are already allotted to like the top 10 men, top 10 women from the previous year, their sponsor spots. So about 100 of those spots are already given away. So they draw like 260 slots at the at the lottery event itself. So and there's, I don't know, thousands of people entering. So I think my chance last year of getting in was like 1%. (laughs) But my husband's 18th on the wait list right now. And since they canceled last year, they rolled everything over. So there's a good chance we'll be down at Western States this year, but cheering for him instead. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) 
Amber, I have a question. When you do these long distance events, whether it's, you know, FKTs or 100 mile races, I feel like there's sort of an emotional high and low that goes with it, right? Of just pushing your body that hard. What are some of, like, how do you deal with some, like, sort of the high highs and the low lows when you're out on the trail? I don't know. I think of it a lot, like, kind of like life is. There's always highs and lows. And if you just keep moving and usually with running and stuff, it's you need to keep eating and figuring out what's wrong with your body. Um, you can move on and you actually end up feeling better. I want to stay safe for Western States last year. I actually felt horrible for the first 30 miles of the race. And I was like, this is going to be a really long day. And I just kept fueling and kept taking care of my body and mile 30, everything turned around and I felt great for the next 40 or so odd miles. But you, you just go through those waves where there's highs and lows. And I've kind of always just thought of it like those miles in life where, you know, you just got to keep moving and taking care of yourself and you'll get through it and things will get better. I, I mean, again, we touched on it a bit on the documentary before our listeners. Um, there, there's such it's such a crazy thing to do a fastest known time, especially over that distance. Um, and obviously, certain things like sleep deprivation and exhaustion play into it. You know, I mean, you obviously know I'm probably leaning, leaning to getting you to talk to uh, hallucinations because it's kind of one of the most interesting, funny parts of uh, I think these things. And like when you read the trip reports, that's usually the kind of the craziest thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, well, just talk about that. Talk about what it, you know, physically what it feels like, what, mentally what it feels like, you know, to go through that. I usually know when I'm having my hallucinations, I guess I don't, it varies for, for people, but like I see stuff in the forest and I know it's not there. So it's kind of entertaining in a sense. Like I'll see logs that look like people sleeping on the side of the trail or the branches are moving. It looks like snakes are moving in. So it's not branches, it's snake heads moving at me. And it's, kind of entertaining, I guess. <laughs> I was thankful I didn't have um, hallucinations or many hallucinations during my 2016 attempt. And I'm not sure why that is, because I don't think I got as much rest as I did my first attempt. My first attempt, I had quite a few. I don't know if it's the more times you do these things and stress your body out, it gets used to it. But I used to hallucinate quite a bit more. Um, and they've gotten less. Yeah. And, and well, I checked it 18 hours ago before this just to make sure you still had it. And obviously no <laughs> one is breaking it in January. So <laughs> you still have the FKTs. If someone were to say go and break it this summer, do you think you would go back and, and try again to, to break the record? I don't think so. I think it's a good thing if someone goes and breaks the record. It's I think it's really good that women are getting out there and challenging themselves on the trails. And I'm excited to see more female athletes back there. Um, I have other things I want to do. I don't know with kids and work and life and stuff if it'll happen. Um, this summer, I kind of stayed closer to home and did, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Seven Summits Loop in Desolation Wilderness. Yeah. So um, a friend of mine, another nurse, uh, she's an ultra runner. We did, and not for time or anything, but we just went out and pushed ourselves and just trying to find new things. And we did the Seven Summits Desolation Loop. So basically, um, we start at the back of Fallen Leaf Lake. And the first summit we hit, uh, we go up to Lack, and then you go to Lack over to Dix, Dix to Jack's Peak, Jack's to Price, and then Agassi, and then Pyramid, Ralston, and then back to the trailhead. So it's a, it's a circle in Desolation Wilderness hitting seven summits. And there's some class three, four scrambling, which looking for things to scare myself a little bit more. I'm definitely not good with heights or exposure, and there's definitely some class three, four scrambling on there. Um, but it was a lot of fun to do a project closer to home that wasn't quite so long or taxing, especially when I've got two two toddlers at home. Um, so we would go out there and just check out 
shorter routes and try to plan and figure out how we were going to do this because most of that's off trail. I'd say 80% of that route's all off trail. So that was a lot of fun this summer doing something like that. But I'd also like uh, to do the Sierra High route someday. So we might start poking around and checking out some of those sections too. That's cool. It's really pretty back there. I did uh, sort of a, a loop, not that loop, obviously not hitting all the summits, but I went over Phipps Pass and then another pass, which is escaping me right now, but we finished on top of Talak on the 4th of July and we watched the fireworks from the uh, around the lake from the summit of Mount Talak. That was that was really neat. It's a pretty cool. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of people up there too. I was kind of surprised, but it was a it was a lot of fun. <laughs> was that this was that this summer? No, that was like 3 okay. or 4 3 or 4 years ago that I did that. Um, yeah. I, in fact, I was just trying to remember if that was when I re- interviewed you, but I don't think it was. <laughs> I was going to say this summer has been more packed. Um, for it being called Desolation Wilderness, there's been a ton of people back there. So I've been looking for off-trail routes. Those have been kind of intriguing this year, and that's not something I'd ever been into before, but that kind of stuff just to get away, get more away from people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, well, I mean, way more people have been hiking. Um, I mean, Jeff, how, I mean, how many more people? You had like a huge bump in people like signing up for, for, the, for the groups and that kind of stuff, correct? Uh, well, we've seen, you know, just anecdotally, you know, you can tell at the trailheads, you know, things are crowded at trailheads. The popular trails are, are where everyone wants to go and um you know it used to be yeah you get there at 6 a.m and you can get a parking space and now that's not even true you know it's like everything's full so uh it's crazy right now everyone wants to go that's it's it's great on the one hand because you know getting outside is a great thing you know it's good for you physically and mentally and a lot of people are doing that um and it's one of the safe things that you generally safe things that you can do I think the the challenging thing is that, um, you know, we're all impacted by it, you know, because we love to go get outside and now we have to go a little further, you know, find those, like Amber was saying, you know, look for those off trail routes and things like that, that get us away from the crowds. Amber, do you have any, I mean, I know you do a lot of stuff locally and with your job, that's probably super convenient to live in such an amazing place, but do you have any sort of goals or dreams that take you out of California and either, you know, other parts of the U.S. or internationally even post COVID of course (laughs) in a a non COVID land. So I actually signed up for high lonesome in 2020, which got canceled and that's in Colorado. Um, it's in the mountains near, um, Buena Vista, Colorado. So kind of central. So it's a hundred mile run. Um, and since that got canceled last year, they rolled us into next year. So I'm hopefully going to be doing that end of July. So we'll see how training for a hundred miler is. Um, this year, I was really glad everything was canceled. It was just too much stress to try to train and figure out pandemic stuff. And I just felt like working was kind of the priority for this year. But next year, I think I need to take care of myself a little bit better. So and for me, that means getting out on the trails a little bit more. I did definitely ran a lot less this year than I have in prior years. And I think this year for my mental health, I need to get back out on the trails more. And so I'm planning on doing that 100 in the end of July. And we'll see where my fitness is, but I might um, just start start looking at the Sierra High Route and um, doing some section hikes with my uh, fellow fellow nurse friend that's also a runner and go check that out. And it'll definitely be a later date, maybe 2022, 2023. Um, yeah. And then I've always wanted to do Tour de Giant in um, it's a 200-mile race in Italy. But we'll see finances for that one and the travel for that might be a couple years out. Now, are you going to try to get the, the, the FKT on the, uh, the high route? Um, 
I don't know if I will or not. Uh, I'm going to go check the route out and see how it is first. <laughs> uh, currently, I think there's only a women's supported time on it. Oh. And I really like, I like the the unsupported a lot more. I previously had a supported fastest known time on the Tahoe Rim Trail. And my support included my husband and one friend. <laughs> so it's a little different than someone else's support crew of like 20 people where they have two people muling all their stuff with them. Sure. And pacing so them. I, and, yeah. yeah. And I, that's to each their own. Um, it's just like when I do a supported, I don't necessarily like I get on the trails to be away from people usually and clear my head and be in nature. And yes, I'm doing it for time, but I'm also liking to the aspect of being away from everybody and just enjoying my surroundings. Um, so when I did it as a supported, I literally had two people with me and they would swap off. So Tahoe Rim Trail is pretty easy. It's like to have a support crew because it's every 20 to 30 miles you kind of cross a road. So one of them would run this section with me, but I carried all my own gear and then they would swap off. So one would drive to the next trailhead and then they would take turns, but then they got too tired. So there were sections I ran by myself. Um, it was more just to have somebody out there for company. I just, because it was my one of my first times doing something big and long like that. So I was a little nervous. But now that I'm more comfortable being out in the woods at night and, you know, going a hun- couple hundred miles, <laughs> <laughs> I like being by myself more, I think. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of interesting to see, like, how fast do you think you could do, how much faster do you think you could have done, say, the JMT if you were supported versus how you did it unsupported? Do you think you could have shaved half a day or hours or, or what do you think? I have no idea. Um, I'm not the fastest runner out there. My definite strength is that I can keep going when things are really tough, where a lot of people might need to stop. And also, I'm just kind of strong. I'm not built like a fast runner. I'm built more like a strength person. So I'm able to carry the gear and do that. And I'm able to be in my own mind by myself, where some people don't like being by themselves. They like having a crew and pacers, where I'm pretty happy to be by myself. So I think my strength lies with unsupported um, but it depends on how big your support crew is. I mean, if you get in a big enough support crew out there, I don't know what Francois Dehaene did it in, but you know, it, you have people carrying yeah. all your own gear and you can run the whole thing where, where I'm carrying an 18 pound pack. I'm not really running up Mount Whitney. <laughs> I, I think he did it. So his time is the supported fastest known time. And it's, it's really absurd. It's like two it's days crazy. yeah, in like 19 hours. So it was below three days. Um, and then was it Arulan? Am I saying his name right? Arulan Sanchez, I think, who has the men's. Uh, he took Andy's record. So if you watch okay. my documentary, which we'll have in the show notes later, with with with, with Amber in it, um, Andrew Bentz had the had the record at the time, which was like three days and I think eleven hours. Now it's down to like three days and three or four hours unsupported. So, so yeah, definitely people putting up some crazy times. But but I do feel like like you know I think he had a big crew. He he did a. I never watched it, but I saw trailers for that. He did make a movie about. Um, uh, Dehane did make a movie about his his uh, him, his trip, I believe, and I, th- I think that's what I saw the trailers for. And he I had think like they a, had, huge they had a whole crew. film crew out yeah, there. Yeah, I, I mean, he had a huge. It was like a big thing. It was like a big ordeal. Uh, they had money, I think. <laughs> well, he's he's a sponsored athlete. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you so. get you get that when you're a sponsored athlete. Yeah, it's super super crazy fast, impressive time on the John Muir Trail. It's just for me. Yeah, like the point of being on the trail isn't to be out there like that but that's just my side you know this is how I feel about it I like being out there by myself and not bringing in a ton of people so I like the unsupported so if I ever do try to do Sierra High Route it will be unsupported 
Nice. Yeah. So, so I, I just want to interject because I think a lot of people, um, when they hear about you know people going for the FKT on something like the John Muir Trail, you know, one of the one of the arguments I I hear about that or against that is like, hey, how can you enjoy the trail? You know, when you're doing it and you know so fast, and you know that seems like the quote unquote the wrong way to do the John Muir Trail. And do you ever have you ever gotten that, or what's your response to that? I think the the most common response you ever always hear is hike your own hike. Um, and I don't think people most most people get my journey to get there. I did two separate backpacking trips on the John Muir Trail that were at much slower paces. And then post, like I picked those dates in July, but I also had backup dates in case of bad weather. So I think I had dates in August or September um, also. So I ended up using my September dates to do a nine-day backpacking trip on the John Muir Trail because I had Whitney and Tree. So I hiked from... Uh, Mount Whitney up to Reds. So I spent nine more days on the trail. So part of my journey is getting to go back there and do the slower things. Um, but I also like pushing my body and see how fast I can go too. But it's not, it's not like I'm, I don't think I ran when I did my FKT that much. There might've been a slow shuffle here and there, but most of that was just power hiking. Yeah. Like three miles per hour. Right. I mean, that's like what they'll, you know, yeah. just, just steady, you know, most of them try to not try it's more like most i think everyone at one point that i interviewed said that the, the hard one of the harder parts was not rushing in the beginning you know mm-hmm. kind of going nice and steady and not not running or not you know trying to go too fast um well you're carrying you're almost carrying too much weight to run and make it efficient so i just decided to power hike my second time through my first attempt through i tried to run a little bit and i ended up with a slower time so my second time i hiked most of the trail Yes, I might not have seen some stuff hiking at nighttime, but I've seen the entirety of the trail um, multiple times now, just prepping and being out there. So I think everyone I had interviewed had done the trail, um, you know, slower, you know, mm-hmm. at, at a different pace, still much faster than me or Jeff. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> they had done like a, you know, 14 day or an 18 day trip of it. And so most people had done it and you know the speed attempt wasn't like their first time on the trail or their only time on the trail i would think that that would almost be essential to kind of get familiarized with the trail and kind of know what you're facing because it's one thing to look at all the maps and the topos and or look at look at it on google earth or whatever but until you've you've actually you know traversed it you know you've you've actually hiked it or ran it or done whatever you know, it's it's tough to know like what to expect. You know, what the conditions are going to be like. You know, how rocky it is. How what the snow is like. You know, all of those things. It well, definitely helped having some knowledge my second time through. My first attempt through, all I had done was watch watch video clips, watch movies, read blogs, look at maps, um, and I kind of went in blind. Like I, did, I had done Whitney before, like twenty years prior to that, um, but that was my first time on the entirety of the trail. So. 2016, I definitely had at least some knowledge of where I was going. I think I only made one minor navigational error. Um, but I, at least you kind of know what's coming up in front of you. I know that that's been an issue for some of the attempts. I know I think Alan got lost and derailed. Uh, Alan, who I co-produced the movie with, Alan Carano, I think he got lost and that derailed his second attempt. He just at night and he got too tired and couldn't figure out where he was. So I know that's a big thing with it, too. And when you're alone, it's like you don't have anyone to you know, go over it with. And if you're tired, I mean, that's a, it's a lot harder to, <laughs> you know, make, make, you know, good decisions or, or know where you're going. So I think that's one of the more impressive things about it that I think people might not think about. 
in some of the signs, even later on, when you're going northbound, like by Reds, there's definite, there's a lot more trails that branch off there. And the trail itself doesn't say like John Muir Trail this way or PCT this way. It marks like the next lake on the trail. And if you're doing it for like the first time, I got lost. I had to sit down there and I had to warm my phone up so the battery would work again so I could turn on my map and figure out which way I was supposed to go. Because it had like the next lake on the trail, which was like Garnett or something. And I didn't know if that was the right way or not because I'd never been on the trail before. So <laughs> having at least some knowledge of where you're supposed to be going and trying to remember it, you know, three, four days in. Sure. Well, and that's where the where the PCT and the JMT split, too. So it's, mm-hmm. it's even more confusing. Yeah. There's yeah. just a ton of trails right there. And it was yeah. kind of easy to get lost. Yeah. For our listeners, yes, Garnet Lake is where you want to go if, you wanna, if you're northbound <laughs> and you want to stay on the JMT. Hey. Uh, hey Amber, so uh, you mentioned technology for navigation and whatever. Is are there is there some component of that that is sort of a requirement for you to sort of validate your FKT? You know, like this is when I started and that sort of thing. Do you have a GPS track? Do you have like geotagged photos? How do you do that? So battery life being the other issue, like normally I would carry something else and track the whole thing. But for this one, I carried my DeLorme tracker and I set up tracking points for every four hours, which with as slow as you're moving, I think it's fast. But if you uh, set it for every four hours, your ba- my battery would last the entirety of the trail. So it would send up a track point um, about every 10 to 12 miles or so to, to validate my effort. Did you have people watching you while you were doing it? Because I know that's a big thing. There's a lot of people that apparently don't have much to do with their time and are very <laughs> passionate and very, um, which was a nice way of saying this. Um, Dot watchers. Yeah, pretty much, honestly. Like, you, if so, you read the boards on FKT, I mean, people are very, uh, you know. I didn't realize there was that whole aspect of it until I came back and my husband was like, all these people are, like, writing about your <laughs> your hike through there. And it was, like, up-to-date minutes, and they're, like, graphing it out and being, like, this is where she's going to be at this time, and this is this is how far behind she's, the record she is. And I didn't realize how much people were into it until I got done with my first attempt. Yeah, and, and everyone was nice to you for the most part, right? You didn't have any any, any controversies or any... Yeah, there was no controversy around mine. I'm yeah. pretty boring. Yeah, a few people. Uh, well, Brett, I, you know, you know Brett Monty, if you remember from the movie, he. Uh, yeah. Everyone questioned him because because no one really knew who he was. Um, so everyone and he shattered the record by like a couple days, I think, at the time. So everyone was kind of hard on him, and then I think he finished the Barkley twice in a row, and it kind of shut everyone <laughs> up. But kind of a shame. But you know, I guess that is the internet, right? I mean, anything yes. you do anymore, there's there's people out there watching and people out there that are gonna you know not be nice, which is sad, but <laughs> just a. A part of the wonderful uh, modern technology social media escape. I was going to say, it seems like it almost makes it harder to like fake it because there is so much technology out there, right? Or to cheat or whatever. I don't know. It seems like it's like pretty straightforward. Like, <laughs> this is my dot and I'm moving along. I, I guess you could cheat if you wanted to. It just seems like a lot more effort and I don't know what the fun in that would be. Um, True. At the end of the day, <laughs> You're, you know what you've done and Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, there's no there's no uh, reward money. There's no, no you know purse to be won or anything like that. This is just for your own personal edification. You know, it's not like you're gonna you know get any great accolades or sponsorship or anything because of that. So um, you know, the only one you're cheating is yourself if you were to cheat. Yeah, I remember my first time I finished. I finished early in the morning. It was probably like three or four in the morning. It's pitch black out in Yosemite. There's nobody there except for my husband standing at the trailhead. And do you know how you can't drive all the way up to where yeah, happy the bridge is? 
there's nobody out there at that time of day. And I was like, I'm done walking. You need to go get the car now. <laughs> so he was able to drive up and come pick me up right at the trailhead. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. <laughs> there is a bus. You know, you could you could you could have taken not, the bus. I think. Not at 4 a.m. <laughs> oh, I guess not. You're, maybe you're right. Not at 4 There's nothing at 4 a.m. So <laughs> that was that was my welcome party when I finished the first time. <laughs> Did you even get a free pair of shoes for for that amazing for those both of those amazing achievements or anything like that out of it? <laughs> no, no, no new shoes. Oh. I actually brought those shoes with me. Um, I had tried new shoes for my first attempt and had the worst blistering within like five miles of the trailhead. They were a stiffer shoe than I was used to, which I thought would be good on the rough rock sure. and they wouldn't break down as much. Ended up just causing really bad blisters. I brought them with me on a trip to Africa and I gave them to our uh, one of our guides there. So I was like, bye-bye shoes. <laughs> Almost brand new shoes. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, with something like that, though, I mean, something that simple can completely derail you, you know, or make it, you know, obviously if your feet hurt after five miles, you have another, you know, 215 or so to go. And if your feet are hurting, that, that doesn't help. I was able to tape them pretty good. And then I used a trick that I learned um, doing uh, another run where there was a foot guy there fixing feet. And he told me to put duct tape on my shoe. So not only taping your feet, but putting a, the duct tape in your shoe so there's a slippery surface in your shoe. And it kind of, it, it didn't, it made it so that I didn't get any more blisters from the shoes in that spot. I, my feet were a mess by the end anyway, but it kind of held off the problem for 200 miles. <laughs> That's a good tip. I like it. The duct tape <laughs> in the shoe versus like just, yeah, like it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that one. Um, what's the, what kind of, what's your recovery like after something like that? I mean, are you, you know, obviously when you finish the first time, you're like, I'm done walking, get the car. <laughs> but, you know, seriously, like, do you, uh, do you give yourself a week of rest or is it, are you get, get, get back at it and get out on the trail and start running or what does it look like? I use swimming as recovery a lot from really long events or um, cycling. Um, I'm a mountain biker. I used to be really big into biking. Um, I've gradually gotten away from road riding, but I swim and I um, cycle for active recovery. I think it helps just kind of mo to move your muscles, but not really put the stress on and the pounding of running or even hiking would. So I find that really helps. And I had some pretty significant uh, neuropathy in my feet after my second attempt, just from being on my feet for so many days. Um, so I kind of had some numb toes took about a month to go away till my feet were back to normal. I, I, my feet were numb for like three months. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Literally for three months after the JMT, my feet were, were like numb. And like, uh, I mean, I, part of that might've been the, I think part of that was the ice. Cause you know, we were, we did it in a snow year. So that was a lot of, you know, my feet were in the, even in the boots were in the ice a lot. Um, cause I've done longer, longish hikes since, and that hasn't been an issue. So maybe it was the boots, but they were pretty comfortable. I didn't, I didn't have, I had some blisters like everyone does, but it wasn't that bad, but yeah, no. And I forget which one of my feet, one of my feet was like five months almost before it was like fully back to like normal. So I guess that's a, a more a common thing. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I was going to say, Amber, how do you like, what is your sort of tricks or tools that you use to sort of balance you know, your job as a nurse, two different hospitals, you know, your kids and all, and also getting in like the training for these long distance things. Cause it's not like, Oh, I'm going to go for a two mile run today, you know? So what are sort of your, what are your tools and things that you do to help be able to fit it all in? I have one day a week 
that is my day. So Fridays, the kids go to daycare and it's my day from eight to five. So I'm ready to go run the second I drop them off. So, and I don't drive very far to get to trailheads with COVID. So you, you're supposed to stay in your community. So I basically get going on the trail at 8.30 and I get done at 4.30 and I pick the kids up and then I just have to make it. With kids, you just kind of have to look at your time and make it work. Um, and we see lots of early morning hours. We work from 7 to 7.30 and with both my husband and I being endurance athletes, um, it's it's more difficult because both of us want to get out there and do stuff. Um, so we we see the dark, dark part of the day a lot. There's a lot of early morning stuff and then... Um, on the days we do have time, we just you just go. You can't, you know, dally about and do other things. You have to plan it and get out there. Have you resorted to the ultimate evil, stationary cardiovascular exercise? Stationary, like yeah, treadmill? Like a Peloton, yeah, or a treadmill. Have you oh, ever? we've got a treadmill in the basement. And oh. it actually has been a blessing. Um, <laughs> my husband hates the treadmill. I love the treadmill. Not because it's a treadmill, but because I've got toddlers. And if the toddlers go down for a nap... I put them down for a nap. I can get on the treadmill and run for an hour um, downstairs below them, not wake them up, making good use of my time. And it's got good incline on it. And it's also the only place in our house where we have a television. <laughs> Television's over the treadmill. It's not plugged into anything except for Netflix. So it's my time to binge watch TV and get a good workout in. And, you know, with kids, you just you get it done. And, you know, because there's other things in the day to do. So. Well, Amber, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to talk to you again. Um, I feel like also as a healthcare worker, as a nurse, um, why don't you just give our listeners a, 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 you know, maybe a message from an actual healthcare worker on the front lines of, of COVID and, and everything else going on? Just got to say, like, your healthcare workers are, we're doing our best right now to keep everybody safe and healthy. Uh, it would really help us out if everybody could do their part, stay masked, stay socially distanced, try not to travel as much as possible. Um, and when you get your chance to get your vaccine, please do. Um, I know COVID for most people is just a simple, simple cold. You get over it, no big deal. But watching those people that it really does affect, if that was your family member, you would wish they had taken better precautions to it's really hard watching people suffer with this and right now with hospitals being closed to having family members in they, these people are by themselves in a hospital suffering with this illness and then potentially passing away and it's it's not it's not what i would wish for my friends or my family so it'd be it'll be great when we get past this yeah well well thank you amber and thank you to anyone else who's listening who's a healthcare worker we you know those of us that aren't greatly appreciate everything you're doing um, in our show notes, you'll see the link to unsupported and you get to see more of Amber and talking about uh, going her and some other people going more into depth on fastest known times. Um, so thanks. Thanks for coming on, Amber. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Amber. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the almost there adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out our show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. Next time, our second episode of four in March, celebrating women in the outdoors, through hiker, entrepreneur, and amazing outdoor writer, Maggie Sleepian. As always, thanks for listening.